0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life.
1: Good morning. Welcome to uh, the frigid southwest. Uh, It's Really interesting how well you acclimate to uh, warm weather. You live down here in western Nebraska. We'd wear shorts and flip-flops in this weather all the time. Um, Let's pray. Almighty and holy and sovereign God, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We rejoice in how you control the weather and you create wind to remind us of your Holy Spirit and the way he goes where he wants to go. Um, Father, let our hearts turn to you. Let us look at what wisdom and revelation you desire for us to know you. Uh, So we look forward to you unpacking our word today. And the sufficiency and supremacy of your Son in all things. Amen. Um, So we're going through Ephesians and we're into chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. So I'm going to read those and then we'll unpack them a little bit. for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints I do not cease to give you thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know Not only in this age, but also the one to come. Thank you. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're just going to look at two verses today. We're going to look at 16 and 17. Uh, What I love about Paul is he's a praying man. And if we're sitting there wondering, you know, how do I pray? What should I pray for? Paul gives us a beautiful example right here. He's going to tell us what we should pray for. The inspired word of God by the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, pray for this. So the first thing we look at is in verse 15, it says, for this reason, pray like this. And the reason is, he goes all the way back to verse 3, right up to verse 14. And he laid out this beautiful thought process of who Christ is. And that we're chosen him before the foundations of the world. And we're inherited. He said, for all this great truth, for this reason, you should pray. And so Paul's prayer is this. In verse 16, it says, I do not cease. So the first point we should have is, are we in a beautiful, loving habit of prayer to the Father and the Holy Spirit? That's what he's called us to He says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. That's a holy habit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do it unceasingly. Then he says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. You need to pause on that just for a minute. What's he mean by that? Paul does this thing very interesting. He does that in a couple of his letters. He says the father of glory. And and 1 Corinthians says the father of compassion. And he names God that to draw out what he wants us to think about what he's about to say. So in in 1 Corinthians he says uh, to the Corinthians the father of compassion. And if you read the book of Corinthians, the letter of Corinthians, you figure out really fast why Paul says the father of compassion. Because he's about to lovingly... uh, Correct those guys. But he says, I'm going to do it with the power of the father of compassion. So he comes to this letter and he says, the father of glory. When we think of the father of glory, we think of God being completely omnipotent, all powerful, all knowing, all holy. That's a display of his glory. So he's coming to us and he says, in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of all glory, may give you The Spirit, capital S, the filling of the Holy Spirit, to do two things that lead to one thing. The the Spirit of Wisdom, and the the Greek word of wisdom there is mental excellence in its highest and fullest sense. I'll say that again. We need to get that. When he says the Spirit of Wisdom, in the Greek, it's mental excellence... In its highest and fullest sense, God wants us to come to him with all of our cognitive faculties, our minds fully engaged to know him in a most excellent way because he's a holy God. And he says, you can't do that on your own. So guess what? I will fill you with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will bring you into that mental capacity. Then he says, so the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The Greek word there is apocalypse. Right? So the book of Revelation is the apocalypse. It's the revelation. One revelation, not to the revelation of Christ. And here it's the same word. In the Greek there is uncovering or laying bare or disclosure of divine truth. So Paul's prayer for us Our prayer for each other, your prayer for me, is that God will give give us a spirit of wisdom where my total mental facilities or the fullness of my senses are are guided to him. And in that, he will give me this revelation and and use this revelation because he's praying for the whole church, uncovering or laying bare to see a divine truth. And he does this because he wants us to know him. So look what it says. I'll read the whole 16 and 17. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Why does he give us wisdom? Why does he give us revelation? So that we may know him fully. That's the way he works, which means we have to study. So where do we find wisdom and revelation in God? Right here. Right? That's where you find it. But we also have to realize that he has gifted some to be teachers. Right? None of us, this book, this letter was written to a church 2,500 years ago, 2,200 years ago. Right? In a different culture. In a different language. Right? So we, we, he, God gives us spiritual gifts to teach. Right? So I've noticed lately uh, we always have to start in God's word. But he gives us teachers. And we have a word we call that. We call it theology. Theo, God, ology, the study of the study of God. And for some reason in our day and age we despair that. I've heard a lot of preachers get up there and go, oh, it's just theological stuff. You bet it is. It's God. It's the study of God. Every believer should be a studier of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you to teach you and guide you to know your God. We should all love theology. It's the study of our Creator. should not be despaired. Then we scorn theologians. I've heard that over and over again. "Ah, That's too theological. That's a theology. That's a theologian thing. The minute we scorn a theologian, we just grieve the Holy Spirit. A theologian has a spiritual gift of teaching. He has a spiritual gift of being able to take the Greek and pour into us in English. He has a spiritual gift to take a culture that we don't live in and explain it to us so we understand what's going on in Ephesus or Coloss or Laodicea or Old Testament. For some reason in our pridefulness we don't like theologians. And what I'm telling God is why well, would you give that guy the spiritual gift of teaching? So that's what he's done. Best book ever written <laughs> explaining Why Christ Died by Jonathan Owens written in 1600s hard book to read it's got 10 pages of scripture annotations at the back that's how deep John Owens got into writing the death of death and the death of Christ great book D.A. Carson wrote a book called Divine Sovereignty and Human Responsibility. It's the best book I've ever written and understand that God is completely divine, but I am still responsible as a human being and how do I reconcile that with scripture? Best book I've ever written on that, wrote on that. Excuse me, Desiring God by John Piper. Um, I still think of all the books I've read, this is probably the best book on really knowing and deepening my relationship with God for who he is. One of my favorites, I've got the whole collection, it's the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scriptures. Somebody, theologian, did a lot of work in every book in the Bible that somebody from the time the apostles died to 300 afterwards, if they ever wrote anything on any scripture, it's in here. When I prepare for a sermon, it's the first place I go. I want to know what Polycarp, who knew John, what he thought of Scripture, what he thought of Ephesus, what he thought. So we have all this knowledge. If all I do is gain my knowledge and wisdom about God out of here, I'm in trouble. Right? You don't go here first. You go here first. Then you go and look at wise men that have passed by because God has given wisdom to men. Right? So when Paul says that that, that the spirit that he wants to give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation we should be guided in two things be deep in God's Word and then look what godly men said about that for the last two thousand years and in that is where we gain our wisdom and our revelation into the mysteries of God the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God gives us a, a deep understanding of God his will and his saving purposes in Jesus Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 14. The context actually starts in verse 6, but I just want to read the last few verses. And then we're going to put this to practical, a practical purpose. Okay? Everybody there, second, excuse me, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Get this one, but... We have the mind, and actually literally, we have the mindset of Christ. So Paul, to his letters of Ephesians, writes his first 14 verses. It's a beautiful picture of who God is, how he planned redemption, how he inherited us. Everything is the praise of his glorious grace. And then he says his prayer, in my prayers to you, and your prayers to me, do this often. Be in a habit of it. And in that habit of it, ask Darby for wisdom. Give diary wisdom and revelation. Give David wisdom and revelation. That should be our prayer for each other. And in that, because that's the only place I gain and I begin to have a deeper knowing of my creator. That's the prayer that Paul has here. That's my prayer for this congregation. I hope that's your prayer for me. Why? Because what Paul also says in Corinthians, when I have that spirit, there's a transformation in me. I have the mindset of Christ. And I only get the mindset of Christ one way, gaining wisdom and revelation of him. So I thought long and hard, basically I unpacked it, I'm done, we can go home. I said, you know what? Perfect time to do a teaching exercise. What's it look like to draw that out? So, we're going to walk through John chapter 11. And we're going to look at the culture. We're going to look what's going on. We're going to look at the shortest verse in the Bible. We're going to unpack that for what it meant. Because if I'm to have the mindset of Christ and he weeps, I should weep. But why is he weeping? And as we unpack it, the reason he's weeping, we ought to be weeping that today. What's going on in the Ukraine, we should be weeping. What my brother and sister, when they go home in a couple of weeks, what they're going to face with their daughter, we should be weeping with them. Because our God weeped. And he didn't weep for what a lot of people say he did. So I'm going to tell you really quick what he did not weep for. He was not weeping because Lazarus died. That has been taught over and over again. Horrible exegesis of scripture. We're going to walk through that. That's not why he was weeping. He knew Lazarus was going to die. We'll get to that. The very purpose of Lazarus, there's a purpose for Lazarus' death. So there's got to be another reason why he wept. And we're going to unpack that. So if you have the Bible in the pew, I think it starts on page 843. Um, I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to unpack. I'm going to read some key verses. So it starts in 11. Now remember who Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were, right? Mary and Martha was, Mary was the one who washed Jesus' feet with oil while Martha was in the kitchen making food, right? And Martha comes to Jesus. Would you tell her to come help me? And Jesus says, Martha, why don't you come sit at my feet too, Right? And Lazarus was her brother. They were a wealthy family. If you look at what she was washing the feet with, these were not poor people. Jesus loved them, spent time with them, knew them. So we start in verse 11, uh, and it's the story of Martha and Mary. They find out he's ill. They send message to him, Lord, the one you you love is ill. Uh, Jesus says in verse 4, Ah, this illness does not lead to death for it is the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's a first purpose for Lazarus' death so that the glory of God may be fulfilled through Lazarus' death. So he keeps moving along. The apostles said, are we going? Jesus says, no, nah, we're going to hang out here for about two more days. We'll go in a little while. The apostles keep saying, well, why aren't we going? Why aren't we going? He, Jesus finally says in verse 10, Second purpose of Lazarus' death, in verse 14, Jesus says, and Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So let's go to him. So the purpose of Lazarus' death was to take unbelief to belief, to glorify God and the Son. So he already knows Lazarus is going to die. So when we get to verse, when we get to uh, verse thirty-five, we know that he's not crying over the death of Lazarus. Something else is going on that he's crying over. So pick it back up. They leave. They get to Bethany. Uh, Martha comes out verse 20 so when Martha verse 20 of 11 says so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house Martha said to Jesus Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died but even now I know that whatever you ask from God God will give you Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Mary Martha kind of gets it wrong, a little bit right, but mainly wrong. Martha said, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus is saying, now he's going to rise today. She doesn't believe that. So there's the first doubt. There's a doubt there. There's a doubt in what Christ can do. Martha should know better. Martha knows that that Jesus is raised from the dead. Martha knows that Jesus could have rose Lazarus from the dead, would not even come. He did it to the centurion's daughter. He could have sat there a two days' journeys away and raised Lazarus from the death he chose not to. Right? Martha should have known this. She goes, I know he will rise at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus answers to her, Martha. I think Jesus probably did this to her. Martha, I... Am the resurrection and the life that's me he will rise because of me whoever believes in me through he, though he die he shall live again she says yes Lord I believe that you are the Christ and the son of God who has come in the world then why did you doubt me if you believe that Martha right? you say it but I don't know if you believe it so they continue on They call out to her sister, Mary. Mary leaves the house with a group following her. So we're down into verse 32. Now when when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the second doubt. If you would have been here, he'd be here. Verse thirty-three. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Very, very polite translation of the Greek. The Greek there is a word used for angry, snorting horse. Christ was righteously mad. Where's my? I know we. Have some horse people in there. Ever been around an angry horse? When he's snorting and bucking, not a good place to be. That's the word that the Holy Spirit inspired the John to write about Christ. It's all right to get angry if it's holy. Again, we are to have the mindset of Christ. Wisdom and revelation and living the Spirit says you are to have the mindset of Christ. So we need to look at this and go, What is he, agree, why is he as angry as a snorting horse? And the answer lies in what he's seeing. He's seeing the two people he loved that he sat with, that he taught, now doubting who he is. The other thing that we have to grasp, and this again, where I'm talking about teachers and reading, he says, All these people are coming weeping. So here's, here's what's going on in first century Palestine. At this time, if you were poor and you had a family member die, you were expected to have at least two flutists at a long, prolonged funeral and a professional weeping woman. You hired somebody to grieve and you had flutists. That was expected, right? You were looked down upon even as a poor Jewish person if you didn't have two flutists and one professional weeping woman. This is not a poor family. If you look at the context, the context deals to a procession of weeping women and flutists. It's a great big affair. And it's a great big paid for mourning. And Jesus sees this. And he has a holy anger. What's that holy anger over? Right. I'll tell you here in a minute. Keep looking. Let's finish out and we'll unpack it. Verse 33, greatly troubled. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid them? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. It's the weeping that's coming out of this anger. Verse 35, 36, so Jesus said, see how we loved, how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? There's a group here that are scorning Jesus. He loved him. Why didn't he save him? Why did he save that centurion room but not Lazarus who he loved? Who does he think he is? He can put grace on some and not others. Why should I love him if he's not going to help me out? He helped some Romans daughter but he didn't help this Jewish man that he loved he keeps verse 38 then Jesus deeply moved again guess guess what word that is same Greek word same Greek word the anger of a mad snorting horse A holy, righteous outrage at what he's seeing progress. Verse 39 Jesus said, Take away the stone. So here's Martha. She asked him to come three days ago. He delayed. She gets there and says, You should have been here. You could have saved him, right? Now Jesus tells her, Remove the stone. What's her reply? Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. I love this picture. The creator of the universe, the person who let the sun come up in the west like east, like it always does, sets in the west, decided today at Alva at 7 o'clock in the morning it's going to be 41 degrees, created the wind. He could have moved the stone without even saying the word, the stone would have moved away. Right? He didn't. He looked at Martha and he goes, remove the stone. A few minutes ago, maybe 20 minutes, depending on how far I walk, he just got done telling her, I'm the resurrection. She just got done saying, I know you, he will rise on, at the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. They're sitting out in front of the tomb. And what is she going to say? We really don't want to open that. It's going to stink. Jesus did this again. He's not happy. He's not happy at her. He's not happy at the whole thing that's going on. Three doubts come from somebody he loved. Somebody that he ate. Somebody that he taught. Three doubts. Roll away the stone. It's going to stink. Jesus going... Martha, I know it's going to stink. You know, I created blood. I I truly know how I put my tissue together. I know what the stink's going to be. I I actually created the bacteria that's causing the stink. That's me. And she doesn't want to do it. Why is he angry? Why is he weeping? Before the foundation of the world. God chose you in Christ Jesus. Jesus is crying because in his humanity and in his holiness, he's looking at this and goes, this is not what me and the Father wanted. Sin is not what was it supposed to be. Realize the context of John 11. In a few short days, Jesus will be crucified for Tim Iric's sin that's how close we are in this picture in in scripture it says that Jesus in Luke Jesus says I'm I'm going to be baptized in something you cannot be baptized and I am am in distress over this he comes into the people he loved the people he poured into and they doubt everything he ever told them And in four days, five days, he's going to hang on the cross for my sin. One of the reasons he's angry and he's weeping is he's looking at this and he realizes that I am going to face the wrath of God for you, Martha. And I've been trying to tell you this. I I I couldn't say any clearer to you guys. And you still don't believe. You're going to believe in a few days. But you're not going to face the wrath of God. Lazarus is not going to face the wrath of God. I am going to face the wrath of my father for the sins of the world. And I have been in an eternal love affair with the father forever because we're self-existent. There has never been a time that God the father has not loved God the son. That's one reason he's weeping. The other reason he's weeping is because he's human. The mystery of incarnation. He has compassion on those who are suffering. He has compassion for Marimar. As as upset as he may be over their belief, he still looks at him and goes, I love you. I love you so much that in a a few short nights, I'm going to be on my knees... Praying in the garden, and with, this, with the with the immensity. Thank you. Thank you. Is it on? You guys got it up? I'll yell. No, there we go. With the immensity of what he's facing, in the garden, praying to his father. The stress breaks breaks every blood vessel in his face that he's bleeding sweat. Why? He understands the immensity of it. He understands the immensity of what he's going to go through. What I think is amazing is they roll back the stone. The smell of death pours upon them. Jesus simply says, Lazarus, come forth. The smell stops instantaneously. What was a decomposing body before he said, Lazarus, come forth, is now a completely hill body. The smell of death is gone. The smell of life comes out of the tomb. In a few short days. He sits on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turns his back on the person he's loved forever. Never a time he did not. Why? Because Darby and I are sinful. And Jamie. Because <laughs> uh, we're all sinful, right? And in three days, he rises from the dead. And life comes back into me. He wasn't crying because Lazarus was dead. He knew exactly what he was gonna do. He was crying because of what sin does in the world. He was crying because of suffering. He was dying because he is the perfect person of compassion. He is compassion personified. D.A. Carson says this about this text Grief and compassion without holy outrage shrinks to mere sentiment, while outrage without grief or compassion hardens into self righteous, hot tempered arrogance. Ephesians 15 says, you have the Spirit of God in you to give you all wisdom and revelation to know God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you've been given the Holy Spirit so that you have the mindset of Christ. Do we grieve over sin? Jesus did. Do we grieve over unbelief? Jesus did. Are we in awe over the cost of our redemption and the distress that Jesus went through? Jesus did. Are we living out the compassion of Christ? Jesus did. That's a prayer Paul has for us. Jesus showed us the correct way to address the trouble of our times. Pray often, and the Father of all glory will create in you the mental excellence to understand the beauty and holiness of who he is, God in three persons, the Holy Trinity. That's exactly what's on Paul's mind in those two little verses in Ephesians 17. That's the importance of being able to Open your mind to the excellence of God's wisdom. Sometimes it takes effort. I was talking with David and Alicia this morning when the man who discipled me said, you have the gift of teaching. I told him, "Uh uh-uh. I got the gift of administration. I've already read the text about the gift of teaching, and I'm going to be held to a higher standard. I don't want that one. (laughs) Wasn't my choice. Right? Submitting to the Holy Spirit for what he has called you to is the greatest joy you'll ever find. Let's pray. Father, we live in a time really not unlike any times. Uh, You tell us in Job that we're going to live through tribulation. That life for man is always going to be hard just like sparks going up into the air. But you tell us that I've provided for you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you all the things you know to know me, to find joy and rest in tribulation, that I will never forsake you. Lord, let us have the mindset of your son as he uh, walked and taught and discipled Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Let us grieve over sin and unbelief. Let us uh, cry, with uh, godly outrage uh, over the injustices that are going on in our world. And Lord, let us just trust and hold completely that your Holy Spirit has provided us so we can have the mindset of your Son. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.
0: To sing a song, but what I'd love you to do is just close your eyes and think about the moments that you've been God, you're not on time. God, you haven't shown up in my place in the moment where I needed you at the right moment, the right direction, at the right thing. And the song is God be praised, and it's really just simple. But can I praise Him in the moments where my Lazarus is being buried and everything I believed in, everything I want, and everything I desire comes? And do I worship through the storms? I know there's some people in the building that I don't know and some that I do know that have just been going through storms. And so when we sing and we come to church, it lifts our spirits, but it also gives us a place to say, God, be praised in every single moment. And I was listening to a song, um, I'll praise you in the storm. I think it's by Casting Crowns. And maybe you're facing what Tim talked about today and you're like, God, you weren't on time for me. I needed more time, I needed more moments. And that's the place where the praise is worth the most, I think. Where it says, how do you love somebody that doesn't, that doesn't love you? It's difficult, but we have to love through that moment. We have to give love. That's where it means the most. And so if you do me a favor uh, in yourself and just say, God, here's a moment. God, that I can praise you and I can think about that thing on the screen of my heart, on the screen of my mind, and say, God, you're worth everything to me. Worship isn't about how cool the songs are. It's about bowing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords that chooses the direction of my life, that processes me in a moment. So if you just take 10 seconds or a minute and say, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you. Maybe I didn't handle it right. Maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I didn't see it right. Then we're going to sing a couple of other songs. But before we do that, just take this moment.
2: And God be praised Let the song of the redeemed throughout the heavens ring God be praised And God be praised Let the anthem of the saints be lifted here today God be praised. So God be praised. God be praised. Let the song of the redeemed throughout the heavens ring. God be praised. And God be. Let the anthem of the saints be lifted here today. God, be praised. So God, be praised. And God, be praised. Let the song of the redeemed throughout the heavens ring. God, be praised. God be praised, let the anthem of the saints be lifted here today, God be
0: praised. Lord God, as we think about this moment, every single thing that you've given to us is good. God, that you're a good father. And so Lord, as we sing this song, good, good father, I pray that we just stand in our hearts in our moments and just hear your heart for us. Lord, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. If you'll stand with me. Oh, I've
2: heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. And I've heard the tender whispers of love, the dead of night, and the tell That you're pleasing that I'm never alone. Sing it out. You're a good, good father. To you are. To you are. To you are. And I'm loved by you. To I am. To I am. am. To I am.
0: so perfect in all his ways, in every moment, in everything that we do, in everything that he says, in every power, in everything. Anybody believe that this morning? We're just going to sing this out. Because it's your
2: breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our love. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our love. time, say, oh!
3: what we enjoy but we only enjoy what we experience I can't share about things that I've never experienced that I don't know just thinking about Paul sitting in a prison and he's penning these words to a church that he loves and he's saying I've heard of your faith church people of God are we known for our faith You can't have faith if you've never experienced God. And so Paul, as he's discipling this church, just like Tim and I do often, are praying over them that they would have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and insight. But you can't have that if you don't open this up. Too often, we're just eating from the table scraps of other people. So we open up our Facebook and our Instagram, and we read what other people write about this, and then we go get the next self-help book so that we can have three more steps to a better us, and we fail to open up and read God's voice, God's word. Because we're too busy, yet I have time to watch my favorite show on Netflix. I have time to just chill at the end of the day. I can sleep in. Yet, I fail to lift this up and sit with this and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? Fill me with wisdom and knowledge and insight. Parents, are you praying over your children every day? Lord, Fill them with your wisdom, your knowledge, your insight. Do we live in a broken world? The people around us, us included, have to deal with that every single day. Do we think we can deal with it with our wisdom, knowledge, and insight? I know I, know I can't. I'm pretty jacked up when it comes to the things that I think are good and bad and right and wrong and and the the knowledge that I think I've obtained over the years. All I have is Christ. I have his word. I have his spirit, his power that dwells within me. And so, believer, do you open this up? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I understand that you wouldn't open this up because this isn't to you something that's worth reading my encouragement to you is that there is a God that loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And I know sometimes that may seem abstract or surreal because you've never experienced him. And so coming to a place, man, I I'm so thankful that you would, if you don't believe in God, because to sing songs about God and to hear somebody teach about God could be kind of weird. If you don't believe in God, But what I would want you to know is that God loves you deeply. And he wants a relationship with you. And this is where you go to start understanding more about him. And you're like, well, I don't get it. Okay? That's what discipleship is all about. That's what the church is for. To come and to say, hey, I want to get involved in a community group. I want to get involved in discipleship. I want to come to a men's group. I want to go to a women's group so I can sit with people who know and understand this and talk about this. Yeah, but I'm in my 40s. I'm in my 50s. I should know these things. No, you shouldn't. If you've never been discipled, and you never opened, so you, you you just don't know it. Yes, it's written on our hearts, but come on, like it takes time, effort, and energy, and it takes humility. There are times I'm reading this and I'm like, what? And so what do I do? I call Tim. I call men that I've surrounded my life with. I've, I go to my wife and I say, hey, babe, read this with me. I, I don't get it, and I process it, and we talk about it. Just because you're reading it doesn't mean you're going to understand every single word. And so that's what the church is for, for us to walk with one another, to do life together. That's why we talk about membership. That's why we talk about um, our tract in leadership development, development to become a community group leader, to become a deacon, to become an elder. Why do we do these things? Not because we want to create this conveyor belt of Christianity. No, it's because this is what the Bible tells us to do, to raise up faithful men and faithful women to know God, and love God, and fear God, and tell others about God. Well, I don't know how to tell others about God. Probably because you've never been discipled in it. That's what community groups are for. That's what discipleship is for. I get the opportunity to meet with a group of men on Wednesday mornings here at 9 a.m., and we open up the Proverbs, and we talk about it. And guess what? The ideas that come out of that aren't always on the same page, and that's okay. Okay? We want this church to be the type of place you can come to and open this up and talk about it and walk through together what it means to understand it and know it and have questions about it. We were talking about anger a couple weeks ago. Is it right? Is it wrong? Should we have it? Should we not have it? These are big questions that we navigate through life and we have to be able to live in community so we can process these things. God didn't create us to live in isolation. God didn't create us to do this journey alone. That's why he's created the church. So when I say live, give, serve, right? That's, that, those are the big announcements that I have. That's what I'm actually supposed to be doing right now. Announcements, ready? Live, give, serve. Why do I even say that? We want you to live in community because we want you to know Jesus. We want you to live in community because we want you to grow in your faith. We want you to live in community because not living in community is not the way God has created you to be. God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, lives in community, and he didn't design it. He, he created man, and what happened? He says, it's not good for man to be alone. But what the devil does is he causes us to isolate when we're living in sin, when we're doing things wrong, when we're doing things we shouldn't be because we're shameful, because we're, we're guilty. But what does God say? The church is a place where we can bring our guilt and our shame and our brokenness and say, hey, I messed up. I can go to Hosea and be like, hey, man, I messed up this week. And in love and grace and mercy, he can lead me to the cross because it's at the cross where I find grace and mercy in my time of need. It's before God's throne I I find grace and mercy in my time of need. Right? He, He shouldn't look at me at that point and be like, how dare you? No, he should say, hey, man, let's go to Jesus with us. Let's talk about how we can maybe not have this happen in the future. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what wisdom, knowledge, and insight that Tim just taught us about looks like within the church. Be a part of community. Live in community. Give. Give to the mission. Why do we even say that? Why do we talk about giving? Oh, now they're after our money. No, 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 no. Your money belongs to God. All of it. He gave it to you. Oh, I worked hard for that. Yeah, you created that brain that that enabled you to go to that job, to do the things you're doing. You're getting those hands and those feet. You created those things. did a mighty fine job. God gave it all to us for his glory and we live in a culture that wants more to do better to try harder and so what we do is we create this culture in this environment of hoarding of, of taking the next step getting the next size house the next best car God didn't give us our money so that we can waste it in this world but to serve one another and it starts with the tithe it starts with giving God our first fruits not under compulsion, not because some guy gets up here and tries to convince us of it, out of a generous overflow of our heart. It may look like blessing a neighbor. It may look like... Um giving to a mission like Ride Nature, a Haiti Bible mission. It may look like um, going to your kid's school and bringing pizza for the kids at lunchtime. Whatever it may be, it's serving those around us. But it also means giving to the church that the church can be the conduit of change within the community. Our desire is to be the type of church that if we cease to exist, the community would miss us. We try to keep a super low overhead. Why? Because we want to give more away. And so if you ever have any questions, well, I don't know how you use your money, then Ask come talk to us we are completely transparent with where our money goes why because it's his money it's not even ours like Tim he has a full time job outside of here he's a scientist I have a full time job outside of this I'm a realtor so we're not here for your we're not here for your money God is after your heart and the thing I know that captivates my heart mostly is my stuff (laughs) and so we say give because that's what God says and then serve why do we serve because it's not fair that there are one or two people that are going to be in the back with the kids and up there every single week, week in and week out. And then the rest of us get to participate out here together and then never, ever step foot in our children's ministry places or, or within our tech team. I'm not, let's hear it for our tech team. I mean, we just installed all this new equipment. You could hear it in Tim's mic today. And it's not working. And then we, during the week, it's perfect. Like we test it. Constantly throughout the week, it's great. We get up on stage on a Sunday morning. It's like, tsk, tsk, tsk. I'm gonna get you after. I've got the mic, bro. Um, and so uh, I love Ben. So, um, so we serve so that we can serve one another. That's what it looks like to be the church. If you're interested in serving, there's multiple ways and multiple places for you to serve. We're gonna be starting our youth ministry here shortly. We're gonna be starting a college ministry. Um, You can see that there's still room up on the stage, so if you have any musical talents or abilities, we want you up here. If you have any interest in helping us with the tech stuff, with sound, with uh, lighting, with the computers, we would love for you to do that. In fact, Brent, at the end of service, he's gonna be over by the tech booth back there And just go say hi to him. Um, Say hi um, and say, hey, you know, listen, I'll help out. I don't know a lot, but I could push a button. Um, And then we'll train you on how to do those things. Um, So be a part of the life of the family. Live, give, serve. Um, And we're so excited. Also know that Easter's coming up. And so uh, people are most open to hearing the gospel. So we don't want you to just invite them to church. We want you to take the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. And so take those opportunities with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Talk about Easter. Ask them what they believe about Easter. Um, And then share the good news of Jesus with them. Um, I know that Tim mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. We officially closed on the building. And so that happened. So this is our permanent home. Um, So we can continue to celebrate that. But we are the church, not this building. And so we can leave this place and go and make disciples because that's what God's called us to do. Amen? Can I do our benediction? I'm going to guess it's not coming up there, so I'm going to read this over us. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glory, inheritance in the saints. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great day.